Welcome back, all you local OK sewers, to another episode set to keep you on the edge of your seat. My name is Jeff Wallenitz. We've got a little to do and a lot of time. Wait, strike that. Reverse it. This episode was a lot of fun. I spent some respectfully socially distant time with Jessica Boyardi, Senior Director of Revenue Operations at Complex Networks, Queens loyalist, passionate Knicks fan, and one of the most enthusiastic people you'll ever meet. And wait until you hear what she did when she heard about how people on the front lines fighting this novel coronavirus had no time to eat. Okay, so welcome. Uh, with me today is Jess Boyardi. Jess, welcome. Hi, Hi Jeff. Thanks so much for having oh, me. Super cheerful. I don't know where you got the idea to be that cheerful, but it was a great, it was a great decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So happy to be here, here in my um, house. Well, I think we're all in our houses. Yep. This is the third one of these that I've done through quarantine. And by the time this one hits, it'll be something like, uh, you know, five weeks of us all being in, mm-hmm. in the house. So let's do it like a game show. And I'm going to say to you, how's your fifth week of quarantine going? <laughs> yeah. So my fifth week has, is going better than probably my third. That's when I've like just hit my stride. <laughs> you just, <laughs> I'm hitting you're my... in tomorrow to like, Hey, yeah, yep, yep. hitting the stride. <laughs> That's it. Awesome. So I, again, you know, the format, um, mm-hmm. I say this every time, everybody, I hope at this point knows the format, but let's, let's take it all the way back to the beginning. Um, where are you from? Tell yeah. me all about it. So I am from Queens, New York, uh, Glendale to be specific. Glendale is uh, situated between Ridgewood, Middle Village, and Maspeth. Uh, it is closer to the Brooklyn side of things. Uh, I grew up there. I lived there until I was 20. My parents moved to Long Island at that point, and I moved with them. It was my senior year of college, a really great time for them to consider moving. It was uh, <laughs> the worst, uh, but they wanted more space, and I don't blame them. Uh, then I moved back to Queens in with my boyfriend at the time about two or three years later. Uh, we lived in Forest Hills, and now we live in Middle Village in Queens. I am like a ride or die for this borough. I love everything about Queens. I don't think I will ever leave, uh, and I don't want to say never because, I don't know, you never know, but I just love everything about being from here. I love everything about my neighborhood that I live in now. I love just being born and raised here. And we have, I I married the boyfriend that I moved in with in Forest Hills, Michael. He's also from Queens. And it's just, it's great. It's great living here and it's great having a house here too. And like a little bit different is the fact that we also have a car. So I live in a neighborhood that you can drive around and you have a parking spot and you have a driveway. I know it's insane. And um, I like that. I really like when I used to go out, I used to love getting in my car and going to stores and supermarkets. And I just always, I, I never didn't have a car. So so um, we're going to talk about um, your like community board involvement. Oh, yeah. But um, I'm going to say this at the very beginning, and we're only three minutes in. But I'm going to say, I'm going to put it down on paper now. The most shocking revelation that's going to come out of this conversation is that you spent three years not living in Queens. Yep, I did. I did. That is and, shocking to me. And it was right when I started working. So I would commute. I'd take the railroad in and I 
was miserable every single moment of my time commuting from Long Island. And just because it wasn't, I, I never grew up like that. So I never grew up looking at my watch and being like, if I don't leave right now, I am going to miss a train. Or if we're out in the city, I can miss a train coming home. And then I have to take a hundred dollar at the time cab ride home. So I hated it. I absolutely hated it. Now my my family's all out there and I love going out there. I just still don't see myself ever moving out there. Yeah, I I talk about this all the time. Mm. I when my daughter was first born, 18, she was like 18 months old, mm-hmm. um, we had thought about leaving the city. And so we went looking at houses in New Jersey and we mm-hmm. were fairly close to actually uh, buying one, but we got back from our last look at the house and the realtor called us and was like, what do you think? And I'm like, I think I'm never leaving the city. Goodbye. Yeah. I'm never talking to you again because I, I can't, like, I'm not built for this. Mm-hmm. Everything we're talking about here, I'm not built for. Yep. So you, so you spent, tell me a little bit about growing up Queens. Like that's, yeah. that's a thing, right? Oh yeah. It definitely is a thing. I spent a lot of my summer on stoops. So hanging out on friends' stoops, hanging out in yes. alleyways was like a big thing, playing basketball in the alleyway. Um, we had a couple of bigger parks by us, but we would play in the schoolyards of grammar schools and middle schools. Uh, you'd play basketball. You'd just run around. Uh, you'd go get a slice of pizza almost every single day, which I wish I had the metabolism I had at 12 years old. But Did you have like a go-to pizza spot? We had a couple, um, and it's funny because the neighborhood I grew up in, there was one Catholic school and one public school. So everybody knew one another. If you played a CYO sport, you knew one another, whether you went to the Catholic school or the public school. So like there were pizzerias in the neighborhood that you knew you would go to because a family member owned it of a kid that went to school with you or a kid that went to school with somebody else in the neighborhood. So everybody knew like the pizzerias in the neighborhood whose family owned them. And if they didn't, it's just the pizzeria that you'd go to because that's the most centrally located and everybody would just meet there. So there was- Are they still open? Yes, they are. And they're- they're still very good and they're still like <laughs> in those neighborhoods if we ever go like um there are certain things that we'll go to Glendale for like my in-laws live there or uh the gym that we go to is there things like that and like we'll still pick up pizza from those pizzerias sometimes just because they're I don't know they're nostalgic and they're still great and they still taste just like they tasted when we were kids but yeah when when growing up in Queens is great because you can walk to a lot of places so uh, we would walk in the summer right into Bushwick because it was not that far and you, you didn't have a ton of responsibility. You just had to be home when the streetlights came on. So you could walk for hours and hours on end and you wouldn't have to get on the bus if you didn't want to because you just didn't have anywhere to go and you could just walk around and walk through Brooklyn and then back and still be home for dinner. Um, that was great. And it was great because I'm older and cell phones weren't really a thing. So you relied on like, I'm going to leave my house now. You leave your house now and we'll meet halfway. And that was, I don't know, looking back on that, it's just so nice. It was so nice not having to rely on a cell phone. Well, it's also like, I feel like relying on a cell phone would be fine if people literally weren't a minute after you were supposed to be there immediately texting you, where are you? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And like, it, was, it would be that. fine other than that. Yeah. And so would you ever let 
Ben, would you ever let your son no. walk around like that? God, no. Oh my God, <laughs> absolutely so not. I I just remember like leaving the house at what, like 11 o'clock in the morning in the summer as a kid and getting home and it was nighttime and nobody worried. Like my mom wasn't worried where I was. And my mom was like, still is a very Italian mom who is paranoid and worried. But at that time, it wasn't like, oh God, where is she? It was like, I know where she is. She's just like, walking to here or there or meeting her friends and stuff like that. And now, like, I would never, I could never even think about that. I was taking the subway at, like, 12 years old into the city. And that was weird then. And now my my son is never taking the subway into the city. Yeah, I know the feeling. So my daughter, assuming we're all allowed out of our houses at some point in the not-too-distant future, <laughs> um, we'll be going to middle school next year. And the middle school we want her to go to is 12 blocks from here down Columbus Avenue. Mm-hmm. And we're like, um, well if you take the bus, text us when you get off. Um, You know, if she has to go to a school where she has to take the subway, I think my wife might have a coronary. I took the subway to high school. And I remember the first day taking the subway and I didn't do like a dry run or anything. I had a couple of friends whose parents made them do that. And mine were just like, you could do it. You're fine. And I did. And I remember not thinking anything of it, taking the bus to the mall, getting on the R train and taking it for almost 40 minutes to get to my high school in a uniform at like 13 years old. And now I take the subway just to work. And on the other side of the train tracks, I see some of the girls going to high school. And I look at them and I'm like, oh my God, that was me. And I was so young. Those girls look so young doing it. But it was like, it was that or nothing. Like that's how you had to get there. You know, well, that's true. And the other thing is, and not to, I'm, I'll just swag out very generally. How old are mm-hmm. you? Like, you, you were going to high school when the subways were already cleaner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, when I was in high school and we came to the city, I, like I would take the bus to the Port Authority to get to the city, um, and you walking through that place was like. It was like kill or be killed, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was. There were moments I remember. Like, there were moments where you felt a little bit nervous, but even now there are no moments where I'll take the subway and be like, this isn't the best train car that I should be on. So. <laughs> <laughs> right. I have those moments. Yeah, I still do. Yeah. Like, it's still like that. So, but it's, it's convenient. I am probably one of the biggest fans of the MTA, which you probably don't hear about very often. I tweet at them extremely often about how great they're doing. <laughs> Because, <laughs> because I know, I know I've been doing it for so long. It's been more than two decades of me taking the subway. And I, I feel like, I don't know, I have a train conductor that I love that I take the train with every morning. I, I don't hate taking the subway. I think it's a, a beautiful communal space when people are not crazy. Yeah, I totally agree. I, and I, I'm not generally typically not taking it from borough to borough either. Mm-hmm. Like, it's rare to hear someone from one of the other boroughs. Yeah. Um, that isn't Manhattan say how much they love the MTA. I do. I do. Because I've relied on it for so long. I, I mean, I started taking it freshman year of high school regularly, every single day. And then it never stopped. Like, I had from then on, I wish somebody would have told me, like, get used to this kid because this is your forever. But that was really my forever. And as terrible as the train has been, like it's not the worst thing ever. I, I take the M now 
from the first stop in Queens. And it's just, it's fine. And it's my time. And being home now for five weeks, I kind of miss that time. So I'm a big fan. So let's pivot a little bit. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about, so I want to talk about the Knicks. Oh, sure. <laughs> because, I mean, I feel like we could have a whole other podcast with you talking about the uh, next sort of, We've got to limit this in, in like a sort of a relatively short period of time. Sure, sure. But um, give me, when did you fall in love with the Knicks? Like, when did you yeah. really become a Knicks fan? What were your Knicks teams? Okay, so I, my mom was a very big Knicks fan, which I think is very interesting because if you've ever... If you know my mom, if you met my mom, if you hear anything about my mom, she's just like a traditional, like Brooklyn mother, Italian, Sunday dinner kind of lady. She's tough. She does not care who you are, what you do. If you are late, she'll yell at you. Like she is just no holds bar, but she was like a ride or die for the Knicks. And I grew up always being a big fan. And I remember... Like probably this the season I remember the most, I think is ninety three, ninety-four, when they went to the playoffs. The finals season. Yeah. 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 And that's when I started to be like, these guys are great. These guys are so fun. And they're like just they they're just a cool team. And I really like their colors. And I had a starter jacket that was that from that year that yes, I was, you did. Yeah, that I was, <laughs> that I awesome. wore proudly. Um and then uh, it was probably my eighth grade that Christmas. My parents got me Knicks tickets and that was my first game. And I was so excited. I was a huge Larry Johnson fan. I had his jersey on and just yelled the entire time. And I was just really excited. And I never, ha- I don't hate a lot of things, but to this day, I still hate Reggie Miller. I am still a huge fan, but I just remember that 94 season that 93, 94, 95, like those years really well. And I remember just getting very deeply into that team and watching every game on like a very small television I had in my bedroom and just falling in love with all of these guys. And then since then, I've followed the team pretty religiously. Um, I We have a great season ticket package that ended early this year, not just because they're terrible, but because the season <laughs> ended. Um, mercifully. Ended, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. Uh, and I want to say like four years ago, I met Larry Johnson for the first time. And I got to tell you, like I've met a couple celebrities and I have not been that starstruck in a while. And I like just told him about my love of him and everything about him. And it like did not stop to the point where my husband was like, we have to go like enough's enough. Let's wrap. That's so funny. But, yeah, oh so my God. So I've he's been- your favorite all time Nick for sure. All time favorite. I met him when we first decided to get a season ticket package and then I've met him like a couple times since then this past season, they were so good to their season ticket holders. Um, they gave us like so many different opportunities and meet and greets and things like that. And I actually had lunch with him. Uh, it was me like eight other fans and him and you got, oh, that's to, cool. yeah. And you got to ask him whatever you wanted. And, I asked him the night of the four-point play what he did, and he told the whole story about that. And I was like, if it's like R-rated, it's five. You don't have to share. And he's like, no, everybody <laughs> thinks it is, but it, it isn't. I had dinner with my sons after that. And it was just really cool to hear him just talk about and reminisce and tell us how he feels about Oakley and 
how much he misses Anthony Mason and just those kinds of Knicks, the Knicks I grew up with. I was probably at that table like on the younger end. So the guys that were there had been a little bit older when the Knicks were really good. So for me, it was just like a lot of remembering being a kid and just screaming at a TV with my jersey and my hat on and just going to like, you know, my to high school being just a huge fan and wearing my jersey on Jersey Day all the time. And I don't know, they're just they're really special to me. And as much as they suck and as terrible as they are and as much as they break my heart, it's just they're still my team. Yeah, that 93-94 season was actually my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were between them and the Rangers, we were just sort of all over them yep. the whole yeah, yeah. season long. Actually, and I don't think this is a controversial opinion, but I actually think the 92 93 team was much better than the 93 94 team, talent wise. And I had the opportunity to meet Charles Smith. Mm-hmm. NBA took me to a game, and he just happened to be like an ambassador for the team. Mm-hmm. And I I walked up to him. I have a picture with him. He's a foot, a full foot taller than me. <laughs> and so it's a really funny picture because I'm not a short guy. No, I know. Um, that's what I mean. Like when they make <laughs> you look short, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, it's crazy. And so I went up to him and I said, listen, man, it's been bothering me. I guess at the time it was for 15 years. Um, did you get hacked under the basket? Like what the hell happened? Like, <laughs> what the hell happened under the basket? How You're 6'11". Why didn't you throw the ball down? Like what's up? Yeah. And he, he went into like a profanity laced diatribe. <laughs> about how Horace Grant just mugged him. Uh, and it was really, really funny because, yeah, I mean, if you look at the tape and every Bulls fan in the world is going to be like, what? It's a perfectly good steal. I'm like, give me a break, man. Like, take a look at the tape. So I'm still angry about things like that. Like, probably irrationally angry about that, especially yeah. given that it's been almost 30 years. That's but what I mean. That's why, like, I say it still to this day. If we ever are in the city and I ever see Reggie Miller, I feel like I'll still curse at him. That's yeah, like, or just push him or something. Right? Or just get, like, really, really angry. And I have never encountered him, nor should I have, but still, I, it's come up multiple times where I'm like, if I ever see Reggie Miller in the street, it's like, no, I'm not going to. But I totally, I, no, still, I know. And I, I was actually at, um, I was at the finger roll game when mm-hmm. Ewing missed the finger roll at the end of the game seven. Mm-hmm. Um, That's which heartbreaking. Still, still breaks my heart. Yeah. Um, so if you were, pretend you're GM of the Knicks. Yeah. Like, what the hell do you do? I have no idea. Like, as many times as I'm like, oh, please, just make me a coach, for Christ's sake. You have – there is nothing you could do at this point. Because you get the young talent, but there is still no, like, older, more established leadership on that team that can really help guide and help, like, with the mature some of those younger players. You don't have that right now. We'd go to these games this season, and we would look at the roster, and – We'd be like, I don't know any of these guys. Like, I've never seen them play before. They were just all so new and so young. And even, like, some of the guys who had been in the NBA for a little while, this was, like, their big step up and their big step into, uh, like, a very world-renowned team. I, we just – there's they need some, like, stronger leadership on the team, not just surrounding the team. Was firing Fizz the right move? No, there is no right move. Like, they just keep firing coaches. And it's like, you got to keep somebody and give somebody a chance. You've got to, like, try somebody out. I I just think they're so in the public eye because they make so much money that 
it's so hard for them to, on a leadership standard, they need somebody who's just been around it a little bit longer or somebody who could just, somebody who's been through the grind a little bit more. I feel like that team just needs better leadership all around. We've met a lot of the players this season. A lot of the guys on the team, like this season's players have done a lot of meet and greets with their um, season ticket holders. And they are honest, like quite honestly, the nicest guys we've ever met. And they're just kind and they're really sweet and they're so excited to be there. But they're they're young, like they're very young and they don't even know what it's like yet. So. Well, I mean, you forget how young these guys are when they're drafted, right? I mean, yeah. even a senior in college is, you know, 22. Exactly. Like that. And, exactly. you know, here in, in the city without any idea what the hell they're going to do or how they're going to do it. Yeah. We we met um, Ignis, Ignis Bradzikis. He plays forward on the Knicks now, uh, but he was like between the w, the Westchester Knicks and the Knicks a couple of times. Like he'd come up a couple of times. And I got to tell you, every time my four-year-old meets him, he gets so excited and they both get so excited. And it's just like a sweet guy but he's not old <laughs> and he's <laughs> and he's like you know as he does not have the biggest contract he's 21 i just googled it he's 21 years old and he's like the kindest sweetest guy he's picked up my kid before they have a million pictures together but like he, they're all still so young and they just need like a strong leader there to help them out and you know developmental time because the thing that kills me about the Knicks and then we're going to move on uh, is that it feels like if every season is a rebuild, what exactly are you building? Exactly. That's and that's all it's been, and that's why every season for the past four seasons we go and we're like, why are none of these names familiar? It's, it's yeah, it's hard. Yeah, it's tough. so so. How do you get from uh, from from Long Island from Queens? Mm-hmm. To media to Turner. Let's start there. Oh, what gosh. was your journey? So I worked at Turner for just shy of eleven years, alongside you. And I applied. I'll never forget. I was working at like a small rep firm right out of school. I graduated on a Thursday and I started work on Monday, which I don't recommend to anybody. Like you, need, yeah, that, that's you, a little aggressive. Yeah, yeah, it was super aggressive. I was so nervous because. I had so many friends at the time who worked in finance who had a job set up for them after the summer or like they had all these like friends that were going to law school who knew that they were going to law school or friends who were going to medical school that knew that that was going to be their next step. And I just knew I wanted to work in media. But Even I, Mike, right? Mike's an accountant. Right? Mike, Mike had a job at EY set up for him like in July. So he had off a little bit of time. And I remember just being like, I need a job. Like I can't not have a job. What am I going to do? So I had taken a job at a rep firm and I started working on the Monday after I graduated. So I had like a day off and I did not love it there. I understood that this was probably not very long term. It was entry level and it like taught me enough in the six months that I worked there. But in synopsis, I- You do have to learn how to be in an office, right? You have to learn how to be a professional somewhere. Exactly. And that like- quickly put me into shape on like how to send an email, how to follow up, how to keep up. Like that was great for that. But in the synopsis daily email, I saw that they were looking for ASRs, so account service representatives at Turner. And I was a news junkie. I loved CNN. I watched CNN all day. I was on their website all the time. 
And I applied. And I remember applying a couple times because it was like back in the day where you just like would send your resume in an email and hope that somebody would open it. And I was persistent about it. And I applied multiple times and I had gotten an interview and then I had started working there um, right in, I think it was January. So I had been there and I, I remember taking the job and being like, I'm going to learn this. I'm going to get really good at it and then I'll move on and then I'll see what else is out there. Like maybe I'll go on the production side. Maybe I'll figure out what this is and keep learning it. But like I I was always one that would be like, I'm going to get really good at this and then I'm going to move on. So I, I gave myself a year and I was like, I'll see like how I feel about this in a year. And then like slowly but surely, I was like, I really like this place. Maybe I'll try another more year. And then I'll try a little bit more. And then maybe I'll try- Yeah, you got sucked in by the glamorous world of uh, <laughs> ASRing. ASRing, yeah. Sur- service representation. <laughs> <laughs> and then I moved to digital right when the CNN app was launching. And I really loved it. And um, I'd stayed at Turner for 11 years. I, I remember saying, oh, I'll stay after I get married. Like I'll use- I'll, I'll pay for my wedding. I'll go on my honeymoon and then I'll come back and see what's up. And then I really liked it. And then I stayed a little bit longer and then I got pregnant with my son and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll stay until through my pregnancy. And right before I went on maternity leave, things started to really shift and change and management changed. My management changed. And I just knew probably by the time I came back, that that would be the beginning of the end as it was. So uh, I just knew I liked media and I knew I liked working with people. I knew I did not want to be on the production side. I knew I wanted to be more on the business side and I'm very, very patient. That's probably one of the, my strengths and weaknesses is that I'm extremely patient. And I, I knew I liked working on things that changed a little bit quickly. So I was patient with learning it and I knew that it was okay if I learned something and it changed the next week that's fine. Like it didn't bother me. So I always really liked TV and movies and the internet. And I, I knew I liked that whole thing, everything about it. And I wanted to work in it. I just, I never really knew where I could fit in. Mm-hmm. And then- And then you I, got a call from John Price. Yes. <laughs> and then finding like just what ops was like, what operations is really like and what, what, management of operations teams could be like. And I knew that that's where I belonged. I moved over to Mashable, working for my current boss now. Um, and I just, I, I, I still love it. Now I'm at Complex and there's just, my days are good. I, I don't know. I, working from home now, my husband sees it a lot. And he's like, you're on the phone all day. Like, I don't understand really what you do. And it's hard to explain what an operation is. You do that. Is. Yeah. It's not even only operations, right? It's management. And yeah. managing people is its own job in addition to whatever it is that you need to do to manage the operation of something. And I feel like right now, anybody who's managing people, you're under a lot more stress because you're answering a lot of the unknowns. And for any manager, like you look to your manager for that answer. And right now, nobody has the answers. Like, when is this going to end? How the hell am I supposed to know? <laughs> yeah, but, totally. But I still like want to hear people out. So right now I manage about 10 people and it's it's been like for the last couple of weeks, it's been probably the hardest part of ever working in this industry, but also like I've learned the most about myself these last couple of weeks because these are the, this is like 
nobody can explain this. Nobody can explain what's going to happen next. Nobody's ever lived through this before. And you can't compare it to anything else. Like as much as I've been comparing it to my, my, um, my maternity leave, that's probably been the thing I've compared it to the most. It's still not the same. So I, I feel like this is probably the best part of all of us being in this together is the fact that we're, we literally are all in this together and nobody has experience in this before. I, I couldn't agree more. In fact, what I'm finding is that most of the time when people are asking those questions, they mm-hmm. just want it known that they're asking that question to someone that isn't themselves. Exactly. Exactly. You're just speaking out loud because you've been thinking about it all day, every day. And you want to just, you want to be a little bit more validated and not validated with an answer, but just validated in like you're a human being and you're worried and that's okay. Oh yeah. And I'm finding that frankly, you know, even myself looking out mm-hmm. more than the next 48 hours or so yep. um, becomes challenging just mm-hmm. because I, I mean, not that, you know, three days from now, something horrible or tragic is going to happen, but it's just, there's so much uncertainty around, particularly around advertising, but about a whole bunch of industries too. And Absolutely. again, we talked about this before we started recording, which is there are certainly worse things and worse uh, situations to be dealing with now. But generally oh. speaking, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty. And mm-hmm. managing around that uncertainty individually and as a manager of people in the context of professional mm-hmm. uh, work is really, really challenging too. It is. It is. But like, I'm going to come out the other side with an experience that will nothing will relate to. So that's what I keep thinking about. It's That's absolutely right. Yeah. And so for those people who don't know, I think it's worth take two minutes and talk about complex as a as an entity and you have a lot i watch you on instagram you have a lot of fun in your office it's not just um when you're in your office i love the thing you do with like momplex con oh yeah so Um, i can explain that that too so complex con is one of our keynote events um it's been going on for a couple years now in long beach california uh it's art it's music it's uh like commerce it's food it's everything because under complex networks isn't just complex it's uh complex first we feast soul collector so there's a lot of different shows and a lot of different entities that we're a part of um the last couple years the last two complex cons i couldn't go to and i was home with my son and i made this whole momplex con of me just being home with my son and dressing him in like super cool streetwear. I had just got him new sneakers and we made a whole thing about it. And it was just really funny. I I called like um, our food. So at complex con, there's a food zone and an art zone. So the food zone was like our breakfast on Saturday morning, just on the table. And our art zone (laughs) was uh, like all his drawings on the fridge and Commerce was we did an arts and crafts project of like tie dyeing shirts, and that was like the merch that was dropping at Complex at Momplex Con. So it, it was just a lot of fun. I absolutely adore where I work. I love our leadership. I um I love our content. Our content is top notch and just well. It's also in your lane of pop culture too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all stuff that I really was into anyway. I was a huge sneakerhead, and I always wanted a pair of Jordans on my feet. So when I would have to wear heels at work at Turner, it would kill me because all I wanted was a pair of ones. I just wanted to wear a pair of high top ones and just be happy. And I would change into them. And I remember when 
uh, Kanye released the first Yeezys. I wanted them so bad. And that's just always been in my own DNA. And I working there has just really been the most gratifying and the the some something that I just can't explain. I've it's easy to to if you've been there or if you worked there to understand it, but it's so hard if you haven't or if you haven't worked at a company that you just feel so proud about and so excited about and so a part of and that's what complex is to me. It's probably out of all the companies I've worked for, the one that I feel like I fit in the most and I feel like I've just immersed myself in the most. So one of the things that I, I love so much about you is like how like excited and engaged you get about like how just enthusiastic yeah. you are in general about about things, whether it's the Knicks or, or complex <laughs> and the things that you like about that. It's just, you know, you have this like very infectious enthusiasm. So you know, it always, it's so, it, and it comes through on your Instagram, which is jboyardi, if anybody yep. wants to follow you. Um, I'll pimp out your Instagram real quick. Please. And, <laughs> but one of the things, you've also have just this, this unbelievable, very genuine spirit. So one Thank of the you. things that I've been so impressed with in the last two weeks is the effort you've undergone to collect money and buy meals for yeah. frontline first responders. So talk a little bit about how you got that idea, where totally. that came from. So last week, so it's only been a week of this. Um, and last week on Thursday, I believe it was, the New York Times wrote an article and released a video of one of the doctors at Elmhurst Hospital. Elmhurst Hospital is in Queens. Um, it is one of New York City's public hospitals. So if you don't have insurance, if you're in um, undocumented, uh, like any anybody, literally anybody could just walk in there, can have a child, can get tested, and nobody asks any questions. And it's it's one of I think three or four in Queens. So they released a video. I watched it. I am not really a crier, and I cried my eyes out just seeing what this doctor explained. Were uh, happening at this hospital, that it was just all these people trying to get tested, people dying in the waiting rooms, people just all by themselves, just hoping and praying that a doctor could see them. And it really broke my heart. Um, as just a, a citizen of Queens, as a, somebody who lives here and who loves this city and this borough so damn much, it really hurt. So I watched it again. And then I told my husband to watch it. And then we started talking about it. Um, and my husband's best friend's a doctor. He's not in New York. He's from New York, but he lives in North Carolina. And I called him and I said, look, I want to do something. I need to get my mind off some things. I need to stop watching this video and I need to act. Like, what do you think I could do? And he was like, well, they are not eating. Nobody's eating. Like every doctor, nurse, anybody who's even cleaning rooms right now, they don't have time to eat. And every it's restaurant- It's such a simple thing, isn't mm -hmm. it? Yeah. And they, they just can't even find time to do that. Nor can they find food because every restaurant in most of the public hospitals have closed because they it's just what's going on in these hospitals. They don't have- It's unsafe to stay mm -hmm. open. Yeah. Yep. So he said, if you want to do anything- See if anybody wants to like throw in some cash, order like a lot of pizza. And I was like, what do you mean a lot? And he's like, I don't know, like 10 pies. And I'm like, okay, I think I could probably swing the first order. But if I want to do like lunch and dinner, I'm going to throw something on my Instagram. And I did. And 
the next thing I knew, I was getting Venmos. And the first Venmo was my friend Dana, who was like, I got 50 bucks right now. Like, I'll throw you some more money if you keep doing this. And then it didn't stop. And the first day that we put it up there, we collected $425. And I spent it immediately. And I kept really good books of this. And I then was told, like, you should throw it on Facebook. And I haven't been on Facebook in a million years. So I was like a little apprehensive about that, but I did it. And then the next day I had collected another $720. And then it got picked up by one of the Queen's Instagrams. And in the next day I picked up over $1,100. And it just kept going. And by this point, we are at $10,894. We Amazing delivered 61 different deliveries. And of the 61 of them, 59 of them were from small businesses. So local pizzerias, local restaurants, nothing nothing that was a chain. That was my husband's whole thing about this. Like, if we're going to do this, let's do it right. Let's throw money back into our community. And that's what we did. When you look at what Queens looks like, it's 1.1 million immigrants. And Of these 1.1 million immigrants, a majority of them are working class, and they did not stop working. So the amount of infections in Queens has is a third of the overall New York City infections, and 64% of residents in Elmhurst don't have enough money to cover three months of their household expenses, nonetheless insurance. So these hospitals are we're getting like completely overrun. There were lines outside just to get tested for days. People would camp out and we would see this and we were getting sick and we were like the last, the least thing that we could do is at least feed these guys. So that's I what just, we started doing. And that's- I just love this story. I Like I, I honestly, watching it, Thank you. it accumulate on your Instagram was so amazing to me. So just to restate this, you're not only feeding doctors and nurses who are completely overwhelmed and don't have the time to do it. You're supporting local small businesses. You and Mike should just be so proud of this we, effort. It's it's really unbelievable. We're super proud. There's um, a restaurant that is right around the block from us, like down the block and around the block. Uh, a Thai restaurant they opened like three or four weeks ago. So they opened as everything was starting to happen. And I'd called them a couple of days ago and said, like, I've got some money. Can you deliver some food? And they not only did that, they doubled my order because they were like, we have the ingredients. We don't want them to go bad. And then they made enough food and just put it out so that anybody could take it. And you can go to this restaurant. And if you don't have a job right now, if you can't afford food, they will feed you. And I feel like- So shout them out. What's their name? My Kin. It's a Thai restaurant on Metropolitan Avenue in Middle Village. And they are wonderful people and they just want to stay in the community. Fontana is another Italian restaurant. They opened like three or four months ago. Same thing. They just want to keep feeding the people in the community. I have ordered, I think, oh my God, I think maybe 200 pies from them over the last week, besides like all the other food that we've ordered from them. And there are just so many local spots that we've done this with that have now just been delivering food that they have left over at the end of the night. Sauce and sodas in Bushwick. They've been doing that for Wyckoff Heights Hospital. Um... Louis Pizza in Elmhurst, they've stayed open and they've fed any doctor that's come in. Like there's so many great stories about these local restaurants that they're just trying to stay alive, but they also want to give back to the community and 
we just wanted to provide them with some funds to do that. Metro Taco is another one. We ordered $500 worth of tacos from them. They delivered it with a smile. They were just so happy to be involved. And that's just like the beautiful thing about this. We were saying we, um, we were supposed to start our IVF cycle this month. And we were devastated that we couldn't. And we were so sad that we had to push that back. But like in the grand scheme of things, it was safer for us. It was something that I wasn't comfortable starting right now. But you put that, you know, you have that in your forefront of your mind and you're like, oh, wow, time is ticking. I'm really nervous about that. And then something like this happens and you're like, oh, no, like I get it. This was my point right now. My point was to just have a week where we could feed some people, have a week where we can help some people feel a little bit better about what they're doing. So many of these doctors and nurses too, I don't know if you know this, but so many of them have volunteered from other places. So the nurse that we've been delivering like attention to at Elmhurst Hospital is actually from South Carolina. Like she volunteered to be here. There are so many people that are volunteering to help Queens, which blows my mind. Or have come out of retirement. Yep. Yeah. 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 So many have come out of retirement too, that they've just wanted to be a part of trying to fix what's happening right now in, in the borough that I call home, the borough that I love and adore more than anything. And the least I could do was just see if like any of my friends wanted to chip in. Little did I know that 235 of them would want to. Unbelievable. Insane. I didn't even know I knew 235 people. I mean, it's amazing. I, again, I like I can't overstate how amazing. And it really just it speaks to that Queens community that you talked about yeah, earlier. We're like, um, and I feel like a lot of my friends who are from here, they don't forget that. Like they were the first of them to throw money this way. They are very much like me, ride or die for this borough. But even if they've left, they like know what this means. They know what it's like to live here. They know what it was like to grow up around here. And they have been the ones that I threw it on Facebook that they logged into Facebook and they reposted it. My favorite were like my mom's friends who were like, oh, I definitely want to be involved. I'll send you a check. Just just (laughs) tell me how much money and I'll lay it out for you and just give it to my mom the next time you see her. But it, it is, it's something that like the littlest thing that we could do that we thought could have some sort of impact from, you know, somebody who by trade works in advertising and by trade works in accounting, we couldn't get involved on the front lines. But if we knew that we can take some of like the sadness we had about what was going on here and what was going on in our own home and try to push it to good, that's, that was the least we could do. Yeah. And that's, I just, and so the moral of the story is first of all, patronize all those restaurants and I'll get a list and I will retweet it out. Um, look, send meals to your urgent care clinics and to your hospitals and to um, your donate blood, right? Yeah. The other thing um, was we sent to the precincts that support these hospitals. Because to the cops, to the firefighters. To the firemen. We sent them as much as we could. And with we even tried the MTA. And that was like one of the saddest conversations I had was like, how do I send something to a train station? And they have a lot of protocol about that. So we ended up not being able to do that. But just thank them. If you're still on the subway, if you're still taking the train, if you see any one of them, thank them. Because they are frontline workers. And they're in the midst of this big mess too. So, yeah, that's what I, we're doing. It's, and it's, it's just, yeah, I can't say enough how, how impressive it is. So last question. Sure. Peak playing ability. 
So prime, think about prime. Mm-hmm. Who wins in a one-on-one basketball match? You or Mike? Oh, Mike. Mike has like a foot on me. Oh, but aren't you faster? No. Aren't you quicker? No. He's You can't push him around? No, he's massive compared to me. <laughs> <laughs> he is so much taller than me. I will Man, I was expecting at least a little deliberation. Right oh now. God, no. No, no, no. I, I absolutely not. He would beat me in a one-on-one in no time and he would love it. But does we, he have a jump shot? Yeah. He absolutely oh. does. He, I remember Mike. So this is like a cute little story. I remember Mike from being 12 years old in the schoolyard playing basketball with him. And because we grew up right by one another. So we would play at the same schoolyard. We'd practice at the same schoolyard. And I remember playing with him and being like, why is this kid so tall and lanky? Like he is <laughs> so much height over me. Um, and then like ever since then, if we ever go to a park and play, he like dominates me. But he just has a lot more height than me. Yeah, it's all a height thing. It's I a think. height thing. Okay, yeah. what if we what if we even you out in height? Uh, I don't know. I would play. I play dirty then. <laughs> I, I would definitely beat him because I would play dirty. <laughs> I feel him. that yeah. I'd punch him right in the face. But we do have um, our son in CYO, and that's been so much fun going to watch him play or being a part of like his practice right now. Uh, it, it ended, it was only because he's in the pre-K program. So it's short, but watching him play has just been so much fun. And that's like, he has, he's got a sh- uh, basketball hoop in his room that he plays with. Um, he's just, he loves it just as much as it's us. An, he's he's been a next gen Knicks fan. He's been to already four games with us. So, so just for the record, the Knicks teams of his, you know, four, five, six-year-old were were are as bad as the Knicks teams of when I was four, five, and six. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Maybe there's hope for like a Pat Riley trajectory. <laughs> maybe, maybe, but it's it's so funny because Mike was saying he was 25, I think, at his first Knicks game. I was like 12, so I was a little bit younger. But Ben was one years old. <laughs> At a Knicks game. In oh, a yeah. Yeah. These kids have got it like so good at these games now. He's got, we've been doing a thing now where I'll go on eBay or I'll see where I can find some old jerseys. So he's got a Ewing jersey already. He has a Spreewell jersey already. He's got my Larry Johnson jersey. Like we want to get him all of our, our Knicks, like the Knicks that we grew up watching and playing with or, or seeing playing in jersey form so that when he goes to games with us, He's wearing like those jerseys. When we went to see, we did a meet and greet right before all of this happened. He was wearing a Spreewell jersey and a pair of like retro Knicks 3 Jordans that I found on eBay. And Larry Johnson couldn't get over it. He was just like, <laughs> I cannot believe that your kid has a Spreewell jersey on right now. And I was like, That's yeah, amazing. Ben, like, look at his parents. His parents grew up with Spreewell. Why wouldn't he? <laughs> so. Best. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Mike would win in a one-on-one. Um, my son will play on the next one day. And well, they can use him. Yeah, they can use him now. <laughs> and <laughs> and I hopefully could sit courtside one day. That's my dream. Oh, my God. All right, I'll tell you my courtside story later. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Of course. Thank you for having me so much. I hope everybody stays home, stays safe, washes their hands, you know, the whole deal. Amazing. All right. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much to Jess for joining me today. 
you want a list of the restaurants that Jess and Mike worked with to provide food to their area health care providers, you can find it on our Twitter, along with their contact information, at podcast okay so. And playing us out straight from the streets of Hollis, Queens, here's Run DMC and It's Tricky. This speech is my recital. I think, I think it's, it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's Tricky. Here we go. It's Tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right. On time is Tricky. It's tricky, 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 tricky. It's tricky to rock around, to rock around. That's right, on time is tricky. Tricky, tricky, tricky. I met this little girly. Her hair was kinda curly. Went to Ohio.